So hello and welcome to the Risk Acumen podcast, which offers thoughtful insight around risk engineering and management. Now, today we're going to be exploring liability issues, uh, workplace injury and ill health and focusing in on culture and how that workplace culture can really impact on compliance. And, and, and for this, I'm delighted to be joined on a call by Carl Simons of Thames Water. Hi, Carl. How are you? Very well, Johnny. Very well. Good to be joining you. Yeah. Thanks a lot for thanks for a lot for coming on the call. I'm just I've just realised there's, there's quite a mix of accents here, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> My down with, Welsh tones will be coming through, mate, and your Geordies. Yeah, exactly. It's probably useful for the audience to understand where we're from, um, and that there is a difference between a Welsh accent and a Geordie accent. But that's for, <laughs> that's that's probably for another podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, if, if, if you haven't come across Carl before, he's Chief Health Safety and Wellbeing Officer at Thames Water, and he's highly experienced and qualified. He holds a master's degree in environmental safety and health management, as well as being a chartered member of IOSH. And, and Carl, just last year, you were voted by Safety and Health Practitioner Magazine readers as the most influential person in health and safety. <laughs> so yeah. related congratulations on that. I guess that's something you've now got to constantly live up to, is it? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a hell of a thing to be um, uh, given an award in any guise. But when it's, you know, there's 600,000 readers and it's across the world and it's your peers and, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's really uh, the recognition that, that I suppose anybody would like to have. So I was hugely humbled by that, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah fantastic. As I say, congratulations with that. Now, now culture, Carl, it's a, it's a massive topic, isn't it? Uh, huge. And, and one every organization should uh, really understand the position they're at at any point in time. So there's never one, I mean, good or bad or, I mean, everybody is on a journey when it comes to cultural evolution. Um, And the important bit is where are you at the minute? What are the steps you need to take? Because even for us, we've been, I mean, seven years, we've had a really quickly maturing health and wellbeing program, but it's still, you know, right now, I still feel there's a lot of work to do for us as an organization. Yeah, and it was Peter Drucker, I think it was a management consultant, and he famously said that culture eats strategy for breakfast every Uh, time. And I think what he meant by that was it doesn't matter how good your strategy is and your processes and your procedures, if your culture isn't right, you're kind of wasting your time. I guess you see it that way very much, yeah? Uh, it has to be. I mean, you know, um, we have tactical plans annual. We have a long-term strategy. Uh, we work in five-year cycles in the water industry based on the price review. So, you know, we, we generally understand those sort of things that we need to do. But really, when you're talking culture, you're on about leadership, competence, engagement, how you communicate that. You're dealing with how do you bring people with you? Um, the best definition of culture, in my opinion, is how our people behave when the organization's not looking over their shoulder and they're left to work under their own initiatives. In other words, will they stop? Will they do the right thing? Will they comply with the safe systems of work um, and look after each other? How do you create a culture of care and an environment where people are able to thrive because they are themselves at work um, and it's respected and understood the value in which they bring? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned leadership there. I guess what you're saying is that that example has to be set from the top, I guess, 
Primarily, yeah. It has to be. And, you know, I mean, within Thames, so we, we have a strategy. It's called Time to Talk. But the first thing within it is what are we doing as leaders? Um, we've worked quite hard over recent years um, towards creating, um, you know, we're striving constantly to better ourselves. But creating a culture of care comes from making sure that leadership understand the responsibility they hold. Because orchestrating a company means setting a tone where you really do uh, empower people to, you know, be, to go to work and, um, but to speak up when things aren't correct. And then when they do speak up, you know, because we're human beings, yeah, we have slips and laps in concentration, make errors in judgment. We're humans, we're not robots, we're built to fail on occasion, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. And the first thing is understanding that and then making sure that when people do speak up, the first thing that manager says, or, or one of the peers says is, oh, well done. I'm glad you raised that. And that's a heck of a thing, yeah, where it may yeah. be somebody's doing something unsafe or it may be something's uh, uh, unhealthy behavior. If you think in, in office environments, for example, when people are um, – uh, they they have a moment of frustration and they may vent suddenly, right? You mean uh, that person didn't get out of bed that morning to go and shout at people. Um, and even though what they're doing is unacceptable, it's all about how we have that conversation then. What are the triggers? How do we learn from it? And I think leaders have a responsibility in terms of at the top level, monitoring. I, I, I can't express enough. So we have a suite of health performance indicators within the company. Uh, mm -hmm. HPIs and is built across a health and well-being dashboard, which we share openly. It's on the health and safety hub. You can view it. And it sets out criteria, um, a suite, 10 HPIs, we call them. And then how do you move from infancy to integrated? And it allows any organization to be able to assess themselves. And the reason for putting that together is not just the compliance statements in each of the boxes, but the question set behind. So we have five questions for each box, but it allows companies to develop a strategy around health and well-being um, but the the other bit is how you report on it we did a lot of work with the government um, a couple of years ago to dwp towards producing and uh, introducing the voluntary reporting for business for both physical and psychological health within organizations um, and it's really really important because reasonable adjustments for physical disabilities have been in place for a while now and are working relatively well within organizations not as good as they could be in some but a lot of companies are doing what they need to well you need to look at your psychological health as well the, the, yeah. that is so important and within Thames we do that from a leadership perspective and then empower our managers to make those reasonable adjustments for people who require them and then you're allowing them to be better in work you know, it's not the, I, I always say, it's not the disability that uh, prevents a person thriving in work. It's the environment in which they are placed. Yeah. And, and all too often we forget that. So allow your managers to do what they need to do. And I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, an important part of that is giving the guys on the ground the tools as well, isn't it? To, to be able to, to, to achieve that compliance and understand, I guess that's where the competency comes in that you talked about before as well. Yeah, so competency starts with, again, upskilling. And do you know what? Um, I know that competency deals with knowledge, ability, attitude, um, you know, training and experience, right? All, all the normal stuff that we know about. But if you think about what do my courses look like? 
Um, in Thames, we have a half-day mental health awareness course, and then we have a two-day mental health first aid course. Many organizations have this now, and it works very well because all you're doing is allowing people to say, I'm an advocate and ambassador for health, and I understand it, and I can provide pathways should you need any assistance. Right, That doesn't replace the clinical team that I have. I work off a rule of thumb for a 1,000 employees. I have one internal clinical specialist. So we've got a great uh, team of within TEMS of six in our clinical team, five specialists and a doctor. Um, and they help and support those individuals. Um, but if that's the training, you've got to have the framework then around it that supports it. You cannot just train people. That's not good enough. Because what happens when somebody comes to them, if you haven't suddenly got that pathway, where do they go? So we set up the structures. Um, and then the individual themselves, how do you support those mental health first aiders, for example, who are suddenly faced with people coming with the really challenging situations on occasion? Um, but then for the individual, what happens to them once they maybe need to see somebody? Did they get the right help and support? How do you feed back? Are we pathway and back to OC Health if needed so we can get proper assessment and support? Yeah. So that structure around it is so important. Yeah, and that, that, that kind of communication cycle that you're talking about in terms of keeping that momentum and everything going is really important as well, of course, yeah. Um, you mentioned performance as well before. What, what What's the impact of, of this approach around culture being at terms? So, oh. yeah, over the last five years, we've reduced work in do stillness by uh, 78%. Now, um, I, I want to, oh, yeah. I want to, I mean, help people understand this because um, if you think about your organ organization, I would say to anybody right now, um, safety and injury prevention has been around for a long time. And many organizations measure that in a good way. They say, right, if we have an injury that leads to somebody going off work as a result of injury, then we call it a lost time injury. And then they'll have a frequency rate based on 100,000 generally, uh, which is the you know average working person's lifetime. Um, and then they divide it over the man hours. It gives them a frequency rate so they can benchmark. Um, but the important bit is not the frequency rate. It's about if somebody goes off um, as a result of injury, you have an investigation, you have an executive review, you have learning. Why? To prevent a recurrence, to enable people not to fall into the same position and injure somebody else. Why wouldn't you do the same for illness? As a legal and moral obligation, if you have a uh, somebody off work as a result of physical or psychological illness at work, caused by work, then you have an obligation to undertake an investigation, uh, establish what the cause was, have an executive review, uh, make sure there's learning. Why? Because you've got to make adjustments so that when this individual comes back, they're not in the same position. And so often organizations are missing this because they're not asking the first and most primary question, was it work-induced or non-work? Because if it's non-work, you have general sickness absence, coughs, colds, flus, um, uh, and some of the even more um, I mean, further uh, illnesses that are really complex like yeah. cancer, et cetera. But the important bit is, you know, you're asking the question up front. And, and we, we don't really differentiate. So um, my clinical team see uh, circa 100 people every month. 99% um, of those are non-work related, um, mm -hmm. as in, you mean, uh, they're not, uh, sorry, they're, they're not illness derived from work where somebody's gone absent. But, you know, generally we see um, presenteeism cases for work induced. We see general sickness absence. But the important bit is, although we don't differentiate, I'm really conscious that um, 
you know, work-induced illness is grossly unacceptable as a starting point within Thames. And therefore, we do something about it. Um, and it works very well for us. Yeah. And I guess in terms of the benefits, I mean, that, that leads quite nicely. You must see a whole suite of benefits coming from from this approach. I can think straight away in terms of, you know, the absenteeism, um, turning that around, uh, you know, has impact on productivity and, and, and so on. But there must be a whole raft of benefits accruing from this for the organization. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't, um, it, what's important is that you don't confuse, confuse cost with value, right? Because um, we have to put in initiatives that uh, produce longer term results. So, you know, I, I have slides, et cetera, which show the reduction year on year based on overlapped with the in initiatives we've put in place. And I've presented um, our a sort of framework um, uh, and a, as a case study to from lords, MPs, uh, to government departments, into yeah. major organizations on what those steps were. But one of the things I'm most proud about is um, not just the employees' evolution of culture within the company, people behaving better towards one another, people looking mm -hmm. after each other better, culture of care, understanding from management and leadership that human beings have challenges within uh, life or work, but the yeah. bit about the supply chain. So two-thirds of our business is delivered by our supply chain partners, and we have a suite of contractual obligations called essential standards. There's 30 of these, and they're all available on our Health and Safety Hub external website for viewing. Mm -hmm. Number 22 is managing occupational health and well-being. And in this, we worked with our supply chain partners at the senior level to be able to say what's right in terms of what all of us should be doing. And we yeah. set the tone from a leadership perspective that anybody working for on our behalf should be complying with these essential standards. And we yeah. do it from a health and well-being perspective as well, not just a safety and injury prevention, but a health and well-being and illness prevention that is really inspiring when you start to really then uh, extend beyond your own employees. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you're extending the, the, the impact there, aren't you? And I, I, it's worth emphasising that we're dealing with people here, aren't we? De we're dealing with people's lives, as, as you said. You know, this is, this is real lives being injured and damaged or, or being, you know, Ill, made ill and suffering and the family suffer as well. Now, I, I know that's something that you feel particularly strongly about in your position as well. We can't, we can't stop. The minute you rest on your laurels, um, because there's so much to do, um, certainly around the psychological health management. Yeah. And yeah. the way I put it across to um, uh, uh, my peers and, and leaders in organization is that, you know, we have a, we talk about work-life balance. To me, what it really means is people generally who have got a healthy working environment and a healthy home life. Um, you mean are thriving um, in yeah. both, yeah? Um, but there are times in our lives where one may not go the way we want. So you may be made redundant at work. Mm -hmm. Right then, it is the home life that is stability and stable. And it may be the alternative. You may go through bereavement, divorce, whatever it may be. And then the work becomes the stability within your life. It can become very dark very quickly when both go downhill. Yeah. So the yeah, exactly. minute you don't look, listen to your employees 
um, and they say, you know, things aren't going too well at work, but at home as well. And that's the moments when, you know, things can become very, very turbulent in somebody's lives. And we know what can happen as a result of that then. So when people go off absent within Thames um, and it's work-related ill health, you know, um, we really are working quite hard to make sure we're engaging early, we're helping, um, but also from a general sickness perhaps perspective how as a company are we looking at those individuals that go off regularly those individuals that are taking one to two days absence is it because childcare responsibilities and it's not really somebody that's got cough cold flu you know you've got to ask the right questions and i think the more organizations that are concentrating on focusing on physical and psychological health management the better their organization will be and benefit in the long term yeah absolutely Brilliant. That's a great summary call. And uh, thanks very much for that. In essence, yeah, the leadership, you know, set a good example, uh, you know, raise the competency levels amongst the the workforce across the board and and get that communication cycle in place seems to be the core messages. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah, 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 do do not. uh, You've got to be relentless. No one single initiative will give you the outcomes you desire as a company. You have to be relentless over consecutive years. So you embed a philosophy across the organization that we really care about people and our employees come first. Um, And it works. It really does in terms of people thriving in work. Okay, brilliant. Thanks a lot, Carl. I've really appreciated the insight. It's been been wonderful. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome, John. Um, you've been listening to the Risk Acumen podcast. Uh, if you have any questions or, or comments around the topic that we've covered today, please search out our LinkedIn page. That's Risk Acumen, all one word. And, and please join in the discussion. I'm sure Carl will be on there and be willing to answer any questions and things if they come up, yeah? Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and thanks again, Carl. And so... Until next time, uh, goodbye for now.